Hello there, it's Emily Taylor and welcome back to the Don't Look Down podcast where I have been so lucky to have chatted and spoken to a number of people from all walks of life where they've shared openly and honestly their stories and how no matter what they've gone through the positive spin here is how they've come through the other side and they're going to be chatting to us about that. Now the next person that we're going to be hearing from is a gentleman called Steve Abbotts. He's a reformed alcoholic of just over 10 years and Steve lost everything to his addiction and this awful disease that many of us suffer from. He's been fighting this battle since he was a young boy and it's always sort of remained hidden in his personality only to sort of kind of rear its ugly head as he got older and it nearly claimed his life. The extreme alcoholism that took control of his body and mind also caused psychosis. He's lucky to be here today to share his story with us. It's a big story so bear with us there's lots of lows but there are some highs of of how he's come out of this the other side so enjoy Emily Taylor interview people that have got interesting, um, life-changing, inspiring stories mm. um, that might help other people that are listening, that might be quietly suffering from whatever issue they've got, whether it be a mental health issue or an addiction that they're suffering with or domestic abuse, or it might be that they've had an accident that's changed their life, that kind of thing. So. Thanks for coming on. I'm going to start the podcast, Mm -hmm. and with everybody I ask the same question, to start on a bit of a positive. What three things are you, at this point in your life, most grateful for? Three things and why? Okay. I'm I'm grateful to be alive today. (laughs) That's a good one. That's a very good one. It's, um, yeah, and I can actually say that I am actually grateful to be alive today. You know, some people do say it, some people... I don't know all the people's stories, but I know where I got to in life, and I know how I felt, and I know where I was mentally and physically, and yeah, I, I shouldn't be here today. But you are. But I am. And we're chatting. And we are. And that's brilliant. <laughs> um, what else are you grateful for, or is there like a happy place that you go where you just think, do you know what, I'm really grateful for this? Um, no, I'm just thankful for me today, for who I am from where I've come from, the, the fact that I can actually tell my story. Yeah. You know, I'm thankful for Grace, I'm thankful for Peter. There's just so many things that I could list. Yes. That would just take up a whole lot of time, to be fair. You know, without people, you know, helping me, 
the grace, the love, all that sort of stuff. That's mm. all the stuff that I could list because that's everything that I've encountered. Yeah. And I think that's pretty good on its own, to be fair. Yeah, to be, to yes. be fair, I think so. Grateful to be alive. Mm. And for the it people around you. It comes a whole you. multitude of everything, doesn't it? You know yeah. I mean? it's, it's simple. Yes. And it's an easy way to just describe And it. some people probably say, oh, you know, I am ungrateful to be alive. Mm. And then some people say it and it really is ungrateful yeah. to be alive. No, no, I actually am. Yeah, <laughs> because it could have been very different. And it, it nearly was. It nearly was. So you're... A reformed alcoholic mm -hmm. and before we get into the difficult parts um, let me start by sort of asking you how much better is it now living a sober life how much better is it it's it's far easier I know that much mm. people think that addiction is something that you can turn on and off uh, you can't um, no. It, it, it's it's just plain and sim simple, simple, right? you, you know what I mean? It's it's an illness, and it gets hold of you, and you know it, it just destroys you. you know, yeah. Gone slightly off the point there. And what was the question? No, it's just <laughs> you know how much better is, yeah, is living a sober life? It, you said it was easier. It it, it it's a lot easier. Mm -hmm. You know, to 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 live as an addict, it's it's a twenty four hour job. Yeah. Basically, you've got to know that you are looked after by your addiction 24 hours a day. And if you can't, you start to panic. And that's when everything sets in with you then, if you see mm. what I mean. So, All the other yeah, underlying yeah, problems that come with an addiction. That goes with it, yeah. yeah. Everything that knocks around. Okay, so let's start from really the beginning um, and about your childhood. Mm -hmm. Do you think going off the rails at such a young age, um, do you think you had that in you at a young age to have an addictive personality? Do you think you're born with something like that? I, I strongly believe, yeah. Mm. I, I think, um, like I said a minute ago, people think you can switch it on and off. You, you physically can't. You're either one, you, you, you're, you're either, either that hot or, or you're cold. That ain't ever lukewarm. No. You're either doing it or you're not doing it. It's, it's as simple as that. Yeah. When you're in the middle, that's when all the problems start arising. You know what I mean? Mm. You, you, your mind's constantly thinking, you know, where can I get this and where can I get that? I'm a little insecure at the moment. I've got no money. I've got no drink. I don't know where I'm getting it from. Mm. How do I do it? And then that's why it becomes a very difficult life to be an addict. Yeah. You're constantly chasing. I know guys that have done some very unspeakable things to get hold of money. Yeah. I didn't. I didn't. Good. I, I was... Because people I do. Could, I would. Because yeah. it's desperate times, oh, I, isn't I, it? I, I can tell you stories that um, just just make me cringe when I think about them from what I've heard people doing to get money to yeah. to get to feed their addiction yeah. you know, from, from people that I've met. Well, we've all watched the documentaries. We've of all course, seen yeah. the real-life stories and mm. what, you know, being an alcoholic and, you know, obviously being addicted to... Yeah drugs and things does and how it changes you, it's a disease. Yeah, it's, it is, it is a disease. And it can destroy not only yourself, but families and things like mm. that. So, how, what age were you exactly when you started drinking and smoking? Uh, I was nine when I first had my first cigarette. I think I was 10 when I had my first drink. That was at Christmas. That was me and my sisters and people like that. Yeah. Winding a bottle of cider under the stairs. And As going, you do, We're going to take it upstairs yeah. and, and drink it. And I did that at nine or ten years old. Um, like I say, smoking uh, nine or ten, I had my first one. 
started smoking properly about 11 or 12. That's quite young, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, very young. Uh, and started drinking around about 14, I suppose. Mm. Just down the park, you know, the, the sociable, everyone's got their pocket money sort of drink, if you said right, you know, mm. everyone just throwing a fiver and, you know, and that was every Friday night, effectively. And what, why do you think that you quickly developed a thirst for more? What, what do you think that it was anything from your childhood that made you uh, want to choose that route or escape or rebel? It's a re rebellion for me. Mm. I, I, I've been asked this question many times, obviously, and, you know, rebellion. I, I had, looking back now and reflecting, you know, in my 43rd year, looking back, the way mm. I was brought up back mm. then seemed very strict, very, um, I, I don't know, you just couldn't, do everything that your pals could do if you see what I mean because you had to be in at a certain time when your pals didn't you know what I mean yeah. and I had that sort of strict upbringing right. I had to be in by a certain time I had to do this I had to do that reflecting and looking back on it now I had a very good upbringing but at the time it was why is my dad so strict and no one else is here yeah I mean? completely so I've heard I, other I people could find, with I that. could find a release in drink right. you know, I, I could just disappear and you know what I mean and I'd, I'd have uh, lose my inhibitions, you know, I, I wouldn't care if I upset my dad or I wouldn't care if I, you know what I mean? So I, it was pure rebelling in, in, in a and escaping. Way, yeah. it, and it was just somewhere where I could be on my own and mm. I was happy, I suppose. And, and, it, and I suppose having that release of drinking and escaping, that, that yeah. gave you a buzz, that yeah. made you happy. That's it. It's, it was something different in life. It was something I'd never really experienced. Mm. And... Uh, at the time, it was it was great to socialise with your pals and get drunk and go to school on a Monday morning and tell everyone that what you'd done, you know. Of course. And that's kind of where it started, and I just I think I just fell into a rut from there with it. To be fair. Mm. When did the drugs come into play? Drugs, cannabis uh, in my teenage years, uh, thirteen, fourteen, maybe when I had my first joint. Um, that carried on. I didn't really like the feeling of that because yeah. obviously cannabis is something that makes you feel all you know relaxed and chilled out and stuff like that and, mm. and my mind obviously wanted to be partying or doing something else so right. the opposite end of the spectrum for me was the one night the, the way that I fell into taking hard drugs was one night I was at a nightclub I was ready to pass out I wanted to go home and my mate said no you're not going home mm. have this and he put something in my drink and I drank it and that was it I was flying Mm. I was absolutely flying, loved the experience, loved the thought, loved everything, loved the euphoria that I got from, you know, just loving people and loving everything. Yeah, and it can just take that one um, time, can't it? Can. You find, yeah. if you've got an addictive personality, you find something that makes you feel different, or makes you feel different from what you felt before, you all go to town on it. Because yeah. you'll I, I, like again. That. I like that, I like that, that makes me feel good, it makes mm. me feel great, strong, you know, mm. and not depressed or whatever, mm. but all the time it's eating away at Of course. So, um, you got married yeah. and you had children. Yeah. Tell me about that, those must have been happy moments of your, of your they, life. They were very happy moments of my life, yeah. Um, the lady that I married uh, way back then, um, her dad was alcoholic. Okay. Uh, uh, so obviously she knew about alcoholism and all that sort of mm. stuff and here's me just thinking oh, I'm a guy that enjoys a couple of beers every night if you see what I mean mm. Um, mm. and I, I strongly believe that Rachel started seeing it in me through her dad and how her dad had developed and how the illness had eaten away at him and she slowly started me going that way 
But so you wasn't sort of that far gone. No, 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 I wasn't. Not so how old gone. was you when you met your wife? I was t 20, 21, sort of. Okay. Time. Yeah. That from that point, then, um, I was earning good money. We were together. We were very happy. We'd go to the pub every night. Then, just seeing the release. And yes. That slowed down. Every, you know, when we had the children, and mm. um, even down to things like you know taking speed and stuff like that regularly. I, I slowed that down when I had children, you know. My yeah. life changed. I, it I does kind of, when you have children. I had, a, I had something that I needed to, to latch onto, but mm. I also didn't want to give up the other things that I could do as well, you know. Yes. Or, in all, effectively, the pub was put me. And that was always there <laughs> yeah, in the back it's, of it's, your mind. Uh, you know, now I've got to go home, I've got to look after a child, I've got to do this, I've got to do that. Okay. Pressures. Yeah. Do you think that, that, that also had a, a trigger for you? Because people do think, oh, that's the done thing to do. Mm -hmm. You know, I want to get married. I'm going to have kids. That's going to change my life. Yes. Um, and, and it does. And it's yeah. a wonderful thing. I'm a mother. Yeah. But it's it's hard going. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, you know, and marriage is, it, it, you know, and there are pressures because it's not just you you're looking after anymore. Exactly, yeah. And you've got to provide and maintain a, 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 a standard of living for, for your family now, haven't you? you know? Yeah. And... Unfortunately, addiction doesn't allow you to do that. <laughs> no. So you found that even when you was married and you had the kids, you wanted to go to the pub every night. You wanted that drink. Yeah. I can honestly say now that from the age of 20, 21-ish when I got married mm. and when I had started having children, mm. um, I would drink, and this is, the tr this is the honest truth, I would drink eight beers every single night without fail right so effectively that's how i progressed mm. my addiction because mm. it was just something i did every night and it was part of my life yeah to me eight cans and i wasn't a problem to right. everyone else it was fucking, how do you live you know how do you yeah. survive but your body gets on? used to it of doesn't course it? it does yeah, yeah. it becomes immune to it over yeah. a period of time and and yeah and you know like i said every night and there wasn't I, a night that you could miss there wasn't a night really where not. i don't know your wife or there was an occasion where you thought I'm not going to do that tonight. No. No. Even with Rachel saying you're not drinking tonight, I would find a reason or an excuse or something to do something or go somewhere where to I can get my hands get on that what fix. I need. Yeah. So how that. quickly then did it evolve into spiralling out of control? <laughs> it's it's actually hard, quite hard to, to, to put a time yeah. on it. Yeah. To be, to be it just honest. happened. Because I didn't know I was. I, right. I, I didn't have a clue. Everyone was telling me, you know, I think you've got a bit of an issue here now, Steve, you know, maybe it's time. No, I ain't got a problem. I just enjoy drinking. So you went into, would you say, denial? Yeah, yeah. complete denial. I haven't yeah. got a problem. Everyone else has got a problem. And at what point did that start to have an effect on home life with, with your wife and your um, children? I believe my eldest son was about eight when me and his mum split up and it okay. was solely I got home from work one night, I ain't happy no more, Steve, your bags are packed, you're going. Right. Because of everything that I was putting her through that I didn't even realise I was putting her through, mm. so to speak. You know? So was the times where, and this is, you know, you don't have to answer this, uh -huh. was, you know, the times where you were heavily intoxicated when you looked after the children, yeah. or was the times that, you know, you maybe you, you drove when you shouldn't have? You know, I'm, all of those things. I'll quite happily tell you a story now if you yeah, want. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, please do. Um, yeah, 
uh, effectively the way that drink took hold of me. Um, I'd have my children every weekend. Uh, they'd be in my flat. We'd get up in the morning. I'd automatically go for a drink. So you were starting to drink That's, in the morning. It wasn't just the night then, yeah, right? This was, uh, you know, to, towards the, the, the latter part. I suppose you know, like yeah. maybe seven or eight years in. Okay. Um, yeah, they were they they were around my house. I'd had a couple of beers in the morning, and we'd gone up to the pub to play pool. Yeah. Uh, continued drinking there. Then I've gone home, and my pals phoned me and said, "Oh, we're, we're up the pub. Come on." Mm. And I was like, yeah, "Okay, got the kids." I was already intoxicated then, and that was like twelve o'clock on, yeah. on a Saturday afternoon. So we've gone up there, and we're playing pool, and we're doing all this sort of stuff. And it came to the time to take the children out. Mm. The children actually lived maybe five minutes in a car and mm. I told my pal I'm going to take the children around he's like I'll get a taxi don't bother I got in the car with the kids drove around a corner and I ripped my car off right with the with children with the children, in with it. The children okay. inside the car um it was difficult it, I, I was drunk I was very very scared because I'd done it I didn't know what to do I panicked yeah I lynched my children out the car took my one son away from a neighbour that had come out because of obviously the impact and this and the other and they'd phoned the police and they'd said they'd phoned this and they'd done that so I just panicked, picked my children up and legged it mm. with my children. Took were they okay? The, yeah, they were, they were okay, shook up. Yeah. Um, but I was, I couldn't even see to walk basically but mm. I'd got in a car with my children. And you knew that obviously the accident, you thought, I've done wrong here. Yeah, very, yeah. very, very, very yeah. badly wrong. And, and panic, and then you've got a million things, I imagine, going on in your mind. Yeah, and then I took my children home, come back, and I actually physically walked past the police, loading my car onto a lorry, and I didn't say anything to them. I just carried on walking, went to the pub, got home somehow that night, and to find a business card on my doormat from the police, we found your car, we need to interview you, and stuff like that. And... I turned myself in the next day and handed myself oh, in. Oh, you did? Mm. But before I did... That, 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 that's, you know, under the circumstances, I don't know whether, you know, a lot of people would have been as honest as that. Yeah. Because, uh, mm. you know, you're aware that you, you, you've done wrong, but sometimes you don't even want to admit that because of the factors of what's my my the mother of my children yeah, going to yeah. think, what's my family going to yeah. think, you know, yeah. I don't want the embarrassment. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of people go into denial, don't yeah. they? So the fact that you did hand yourself oh, in, I, I think, I was, handed myself in. was was good and um, obviously the right thing to do, uh, but hard. It was it was the right thing to do, but the thing is, because I was an addict, I'd already got my story lined up with the police. Yeah. I turned up to the police station the, the next day, mm. within the 24 hours allotted with my mother, and I handed myself into the police station. But before I got to the police station, mm. I, I'd drunk whole bottle of red wine had you because I knew when I got to the station they were going to want to uh, breath test me yeah because it was an accident yeah but I knew I knew my how I could stand on this and I knew that if I turned around to them when I got straight into the police station and, and they asked me have I had a drink this morning and I say yes I ain't gonna get breath tested so that actually saved me right me I going in there and going yeah I've yeah. had a drink today well why have you had a drink this morning Steve it's 12 or whatever o'clock no, it's because I'm an addict. I'm an alcoholic. Yeah. Oh, we can't breath test you. So I you admitted that then yeah. at that point? Yeah. yeah. I managed to get away with about five or six different things that they were trying to pin on me. Mm. And I ended up just getting a fine for something that I should have got. Very, Did you lose very your good. license as well? No. Because you wasn't breath tested? I wasn't breath tested. So you knew how if to I work If I had lost my license, 
I would have lost my job because I worked in the motorcycle. Right. I was going to ask what you did for a living. So uh, yeah, okay. and the story progresses from there, mate. Okay. So, um, how was your wife then with you looking after the children? Did she uh, stop no, it? Yeah. 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 I, I was. I suppose then that's when I was, things. I was a liability now. Yeah. An absolute liability. Yeah, and it's out in the open. Yeah. It, it helped me in some respects because I know from that point then when she did stop me from seeing my children regularly, it wasn't a complete blanket ban you're not seeing them. Yeah. It was... In your care yeah, only. Yeah, you know, we're going to make sure everything's in place before they do come around. You know, do a stupid thing like drink, absolutely drunk with your children in the car. You've got to expect that something's going to happen. Yeah. Um, but yeah, she's... Um, Rachel was with, with a new guy at the time and uh, basically they just overtook my life, but kept me out of my children's life for their benefit, I, I believe. Right. Uh, because my children had seen their granddad, who was the alcoholic, who ended up having to live with them due to his illness. Right. Uh, which, which eventually killed him. Uh, right, so okay. So my children had seen their granddad and they grow knew. up drinking, and yeah. all of a sudden, well, granddad's not here anymore. Why? Well, because, because. of... Drink, drink was one of them main factors in, in Keith passing away. He did have cancer and stuff like that, but obviously, you know... The drink. Through, yeah. through his cancer treatments and everything like that, he drunk. He mm. just openly drunk. And, and the children would have seen that growing the, the up as children, well. Yeah. So yeah. they were already aware that, you know, alcohol yeah, was a bit of an issue in the family. It's, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not a good, not a brilliant thing, alcohol, you know what I mean? It's, uh, yeah. It is for Dad because he keeps him going. He's, you know, it was for Grandad because he kept him going, mm. but it really ain't that good. Mm. Mm. Did you then think, um, okay, I'm going to do something about this? Did you think I'm going to phone Alcoholics Anonymous? I, I did, yeah. I, there's, um, there's, there are a few little things on offer for people. My problem was is I would attend these things on my own. And I did that because I was an addict. Yeah. Because I knew then that if I came out of the AI meeting that I'd gone to, you know, to sit in an AI meeting and listen to another addict telling their story, which you do when you go into an AI meeting, you yeah. hello, my name's Steve and this is my story. Yeah. So everyone knows. But I was in AI meetings and I was listening to complete strangers telling my life. That is the weirdest thing I've ever experienced in my life. Everything that was coming out of another alcoholic's mouth you could, was exactly how I lived. Yeah, you could relate and it just, to it. It put you in a, a pigeonhole, if you like. Well, I know now that every alcoholic lives life exactly the way that I do. Mm -hmm. And that kind of made me feel good about myself. I'm an addict, but I'm not the only one. I know that You're I'm not the only alone. one. You're not alone. I know that there's other people out there, mm -hmm. and I've heard them telling the same story about, like mine. Mm -hmm. So, okay, I'm, I'm not the only one. Yeah. So to me now, I haven't got a problem. And that's the way my mentality kicked in again. Then I'd right. go to AA meetings, and I'd come out of the AA meeting and go into a pub. Mm. Or I'd come out of the AA meeting and go into a license. Because I knew, because I'd lost my license and everything. So uh, what? How did you end up losing? I your ended up losing my license again, and the police pulled me over for driving suspiciously, and, and they breathalysed me, and I'd had two cans of beer. I was compass mentis completely. Did all the tests that the police asked me to do, walked the line, but as soon as I blew into the breath, it, the breath you were over. I was over. Yeah. And with that, even though it went to court, and even though um, the Judge had said to my solicitor, you know, if, if Mr. Roberts loses his license, he's still able to work. I could. I was still able to work. That's not a problem. I just couldn't get to work. Mm. So they, this solicitor then has turned around and said, no, no, he's all right. 
So they took my license off me. Yeah, they will. And as soon as they took my license off me, everything just crashed. Right. Because that was my livelihood now. Yeah. The drinkers are now taking my livelihood away from me. Now what do I do? Drink more. I'll just drink more. Yeah. I'll, yeah. Just, I'll just find every penny mm. that I've got and I'll just throw it all into this because mm. it's good for me because it's got me to here in life. And was at this point, was you fully aware of how extreme the habit was and how much was you drinking more? Around that time, when I, when I lost my licence, the drink was the predominant, yeah. absolute, be on and end all. Um, that, if I didn't have that, I was, I was, I was nothing. Mm. But now it was getting to the point where losing my licence meant that I wasn't going to be able to afford things like cocaine and stuff like that, if mm. you see what I mean. Yep. Um, so that then, <laughs> in, in an addict's world, you find friends, basically. You find a friend that, when you're, when you're waiting for your gyro, or you haven't got any drink, or you haven't got any of that, because I ended up on a dole, I went from a £32,000 a year job into... So you lost your on, job. On the dole, basically. Right. Um, yeah, work, work wanted to accommodate me, but physically to get to Birmingham every day would have cost, you know, yeah. two hours in the morning, two hours yeah. in the evening. And I just, I literally, Emily, if I can say, I just get, gave everything up. Yeah, you when gave I lost all. my license, I, just, I, I, I don't even want to try and get to Birmingham every day. No. There you go, there's my, yeah. my notice. Yeah. To me, that seemed the right thing to do. So, was that one of the lowest points? Yeah, that, was, that was very bad. Yeah. That was very bad. Yeah. Because now I had to now feed my addiction without mm -hmm. an income. And was you still attending any sort of Alcoholics yeah. Anonymous? No. Not, Everything I'm at that point. That yeah, yeah. That, that had all gone out no. the window. No, nothing, so, nothing, so nothing. was how were your sort of um, parents? Did you have anyone, like a friend or your parents, I, I, that like, tried to help you? Or? Yeah, I, my parents, especially my mum, that's a big, big regret because. I did and said things to my parents that you should never say to your parents. Mm -hmm. you know what I, mean? I, I, I put blame onto dead relatives and stuff like that because of the way that I was. Mm. Do you know what I mean? I, I was finding, I was getting well, you to a are, desperate point you? now. You know, it's like, a disease yeah. and you're constantly... And I know, yeah. and I knew at that time that I haven't got many people around me anymore. So mm. the only people I did have were my family. Mm. And one of the conversations I had the one day when my dad had come round was basically me and your mum are wiping our hands off you. Yeah, That's it. that was going to be one of my questions because, you know, a lot of um, documentaries and people that I know that have been in, a, you know, a similar situation to you, you know, they do. Yep. They do, they just, and, and sometimes it's not down to the fact that they, you know, they don't want to help you. They don't know how to and how to cope themselves. And you often find that a lot of the parents attend group sessions yeah. to try and get help and know yeah. what to do with this you know, their, their, their children that are in this situation. Very, very dark place in their lives, you know. The, every parent would never want their children no. to be no. in the position that no. I was and, and the state that my parents actually mm. sent me in. Mm. I, it, it actually embarrassed me as, as an addict, the way when that you, I lived. Yeah, yeah. You know, I, uh, you know, many occasions my mum would come round to my house and she would literally fill four bin bags full of just the cans, the beer bottles and the, the wrappers and whatnot that are on my mm. living room floor. Mm. And that was how I lived. I yeah. literally tiptoe across my living room in between the bottles and the cans. Just so you, the at this point you'd kind of yeah. felt like you'd lost everything. Everything. I, yeah. I, I really didn't care about anything. Then. No. Really Self-destruct, downward yeah. spiral. Yeah. 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 Just turn it all the way to 11 mm. and just mm. wait till it pops. So obviously, a question that I wanted to ask because addiction is obviously one of the 
one of the biggest problems yeah. that the NHS face. Yeah. My brother works um, at the Redditch Alexandra yeah. Hospital on MAU, and you know he is constantly faced with people that are alcoholics, yeah. people that have overdosed yeah. on drugs, um, and he has to special them yeah. and deal with. It's not just a job of, you know, I'm caring for somebody that's mm -hmm. poorly, you know, he's having to special people that are aggressive, that are not in control of who they are because yeah, of this, right, you know, disease yeah. and, and this addiction. Um, and they're put on the detox programmes, mm -hmm. the same people come back. Why do you think this is? And what would you advise to people who are in this position, who are listening, who can't seem to break the addiction? What, what do you think it is if you... Mm. I know it's a tough that's, question. That's, that's, a, that's a nice question. Isn't it? it is, but it's it's a big problem. Yeah. Um, it is. I mean, people reoffend, if you can call it reoffending, because that's what I call it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, what I mean? you, you know, you, you stop doing something and you do it again. You you reoffending, aren't you? You know, mm. you mm. you doing something that you you shouldn't be doing. Um, it's actually very difficult because detox programs and stuff like that they give. If I could say this, mm. and I was never privy to a hospital NHS detox or anything like that, okay. I, I didn't go down that route at all. Mm. The problem is with detoxes is they will make you feel great for two weeks. Okay. But at the end of that two weeks, if you were like I was, I mean, I didn't eat when I drank. I'm yes. not like some people. Do you know what I mean? I, you know. They, yeah, you're either one or the yeah, other. Yeah, can't you? I would solely live off the sugars that were in the cider or in the they were the things that gave me mm. the energy. Because you feel like that and you start to put a bit of weight on, you start feeling a bit better about yourself, yeah. you know, you start feeling uh, much more compassmentous, you know, every, all the lights are now are shining again, you know, instead yep. of having this hood yep. up and looking at the floor, yep. well, well, <coughs> the world's all gleaming again, you know. Yep. Um, <laughs> but the problem is then, you think you're strong enough to have a drink. That's yeah. the problem because you've had that two weeks off. And you're starting oh, to feel grey. I drank for six months solid and then I had two oh. weeks off and I feel amazing now. So I can have a drink I can again. have a drink now. Right, yeah. I always wondered and, you know, I think this is a question that, you know, people that are working in the NHS, think, you know, you've been put on the detox programme and, and, and you're back here mm. in a month or two and it's the same people. Um, I mean, I know obviously disease and addiction is so, so hard to break. Mm. Um, you know, and, and obviously the, SH, the NHS is under, you know, a, a massive amount of pressure for mm. it. But now you've explained it, you know, you, you can kind of see, yeah. you know, that it, it's, it's going to take a lot more than that. Oh, yeah. I mean... The... Do you think, do you think you actually, you know, and this is a question for, for yourself and, and probably others as well. Do you think you, you've got to want to help yourself? You've got to want to change? Yeah. Do, what point did you reach where you thought, you know what? I can't continue like this. Um, can, I, can I be completely honest with you? I want you to be completely yeah. honest. whole point of this. Uh, the day that I realised I had a problem is the day that my mum had been round and, and, and basically said we were wiping our hands with you. Yeah. That day then, I was maybe, oh God, maybe nine stone in weight. And you're nearly six foot. I'm, I'm six foot two. Yeah. So, so nine stone in weight is literally skin and bones. And yeah. Well, I'm nine stone yeah. and it, five it, foot it is three. So skin and bones. Mm. 
And I was sat naked. I was on my sofa. My mum had been and gone. I was urinating. I was mm. whatever, just mm. where I was sat. All day. I, that's how much of a mess I was. I, right. I really didn't care about anything. And I fell onto the, on my knees after my mum had gone, completely mm. naked, and I prayed for the first time ever. Mm. Prayed with an open heart, basically, yeah. saying, if there is a God or, or anything, help please me, help please, me. because I need it. I yeah. really do need it. You know, and I can really the, relate to that. That is the complete relate Prayed. Yeah. What happened then? <laughs> um, literally, days later, um, a friend of mine, who your brother knows as well, mm. um, got in contact with me through Facebook. Mm. I'd spoke to him twice in maybe 17 years, and he was a devout Christian. Now, to me. So it's a bit like your miracle. Uh, well, hold on a minute. Was, I prayed. Was answered, yeah. And then, well, hold on a minute. Now, Adam's in contact with me. Well, it's I, that universe, it's when you send that signal out mm. and you, you know, at that point you obviously really was at a point where you really yeah. wanted help. Mm. You just needed that break, you needed that one person mm. and... I just yeah. needed something, I just yeah. needed a glimmer. You know, yeah. and to me, Adam getting in contact with me was a glimmer. Yeah, of I, course. I, I had to hold on to that. Yeah. That was the only thing at the moment that's making me think, well, I'm going to get through this now. So was he right. aware was of the problem or did you, or was he just getting in contact because he hadn't seen you for a long it, time it, as it, a friend? It transpires that <clears throat> there was things going on in the background that I didn't know about between my parents, between a very good friend of mine who worked at a local shop in Mignot's Green, you know what I mean? Yeah. These yeah. people were collaborating yeah. behind my back and going, mm. Steve is not in a good place at the moment. What can we do? What can we do? I'm glad that they did what they did. And, and Adam mm. Kane. So If they hadn't did what they did, then we wouldn't be having this chat again. Uh, <laughs> and I'm glad we are. <laughs> You're a great person. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so what happened then? Adam got in contact. Um, Adam got in contact with me and he said that he was taking his wife to Manchester, I think it was, uh, at the time. On the way back through, I reckon you could do with a bit of a holiday, Steve effectively. He lived in Exeter at the yeah. time, so he's dropped Helen off in Manchester on the way back down. He stopped and picked me up, sadly, mm -hmm. down to his house for a week uh, in Exeter, which I was quite looking forward to. Mm. But when he picked me up, I was absolutely bladdered. Yeah. Completely bladdered. Out of it. Completely. And I think that was the first time Adam, Adam had seen it. Seen what he'd heard, if you see what I mean. Yes, and he I do. was very concerned for mm, me. Mm. Even down to the point that I packed my bag to go to his house and I put frozen beef burgers in between my socks and my pants. Why would you do that? <laughs> that but that yeah, happened. Yeah. You know? So his concern then with me was, whoa, this this is it's not it's, yeah, it, this, <laughs> this is this really is a big problem and yeah. we need to do it's something really to right. address it. Uh that was on a Saturday. Unbeknown to me because I passed out in the back of his car. We uh travelling down the motorway. I don't even remember getting out to go to the toilet on the side of the motorway and falling down the embankment, which happened. I don't remember that. No. Uh, so was you at this <laughs> point was you sort of like not even aware of who you really was anymore or no. in control of your own actions you were just lost, sort of going lost my identity yeah. my identity now was frosty jack cider or it was cocaine or it was ecstasy or something like that Do you know whatever what you could get your hands yeah. on for that release that, that was just, to feed that yeah, addiction just, just to keep because i suppose your body cries out for it as well doesn't it 
mm. which is when the psychosis kicked in. in right. My, my small intervals, if you see what I mean. When I didn't have enough money to drink, like I say, I didn't go out and steal. You'd end up, effectively, if you'd managed to drink up until from like six in the morning till five at night, yeah. you were, you know, you were topped up, effectively. Yes. But yes. when you started after that period of a night time, when you couldn't continue topping yourself up mm. until you passed out or whatever the case may be in previous times. If you yeah, I did. That's how I lived. I lived, mm. I drank until I fell asleep and I'd wake up and I'd drink again and I'd fall asleep and that was my day. I'd mm. just literally cover 24 hours a day, drinking to the point where I knew I was going to pass out, pass mm. out, wake up again, mm. into interacting with people or whatever. Just to it's just an existence that, then, yeah, isn't it, it, for it, you? That's exactly what I was doing. I was mm. existing. Barely. 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 So, um, it's, it's in there. Adam took you, yeah. did you, you went, obviously, you, yeah, the motorway went. intervals where you, you know, you fell over. Yeah. What what happened then? Um, he just obviously continued taking me down to his. And on the way down, unbeknown to me, uh, he was actually making, um, he was making phone calls mm. to help me. Try and get while out. While he was driving me down to somewhere with me passed out in his backseat. Yeah. All that journey, the three hours or whatever it was, he was constantly on his phone trying mm. to find somewhere mm. to get me to mm. because he was fearing for my life now, yeah. you know I mean? because he'd seen me. And I, we got to his house and uh, I, took, I took my dog down with me and stuff like that. I stopped at Adam's house and not knowingly uh, understanding how an addict works, mm. at three o'clock in the morning when I'm at Adam's house, I'm rustling around his kitchen trying to find the bottle of cider that he's hidden from me. Yeah. So he's got up at half past three in the morning, Steve, what are you doing? Well, this is what I need to do, Adam. Yeah. Right. Tomorrow we're going to do this. And literally that next day he'd arranged for me from the Saturday. And by the Monday, tea time on the Monday, I was in a rehab in Watford. Right. So literally two so he'd days. he got you in. He'd got you in very he'd quickly. He'd pick me up and he'd drop me yeah. off within two days, yeah. basically. And that's when the road to recovery started. Good. And you spent how long in rehab? Three. Three years. Three years. Three years. Three years. So, the psychosis. Mm -hmm. this, 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 this had happened, this yeah. was getting a lot more frequent well, it, at this point, I think, wasn't it? I mean, I have, we have glanced on it and then I have gone off track a little bit. But the psychosis, like I say, when, when I would go to sleep on that night time, if I didn't have a drink, because I would withdraw and stuff like that, and the psychosis would kick in, and I would hallucinate and stuff like that. But I'd be on my own, in a flat, on my bed. Mm. I'd just put the blanket over my head until it went away. And was it voices? Uh, I didn't have the voices, no. The, not at that point. Because mm. I watched a documentary, yeah. so would yeah. you just, um, I think you watched the same I, one. I watched a bit of it. But it um, did start opening up little things for me, so I just switched it over. Yeah, well, which I can imagine you would. But I watched it and, and had a, a much clearer understanding yeah. of, of what psychosis is. Um, psychosis is not very nice. No. <laughs> no. So, um, did you have this while she was in rehab? I had the psychosis um, on the day that I got there. Uh, obviously, as soon as I walked through that front door to that rehab, because it was a Christian establishment. Okay. I had to give up drinking, obviously. I had to give up the drugs, smoking, swearing. Everything. Ogling at women. Everything that a man found favour in, I had to stop as soon as I walked through that front door. And I did. <laughs> Until the next day, when I 
started to suffer with a psychosis. Mm. Uh, and that threw me completely mm. because it was not like I'd experienced before. Yeah. Because before when I'd had the psychosis now. the next morning, I could probably get up, find a couple of quid and go get a drink. In this house now, I there was nothing. I couldn't. No. I could drink tea or water. Because a lot of people don't stick <laughs> rehab. So did you try and escape? Did yeah. you stick? You did. I did. The second day, uh, like I say, when the, the, the psychosis and stuff kicked in, I literally turned the house upside down that I was living in. Mm. Because these voices that were inside my head now, uh, they were inside and inside and outside. Mm. Uh, which was very confusing because I had never experienced voices and now all mm. of a sudden I've got two different types. You could be like sat here like I am now and I would hear someone from over in that corner shout me or whistle me or say something. Yeah. And then inside my head there'd be another voice going, oh, so, 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 so. So it's like a, a, a battle between, there. yeah. Effectively, you've got all these things coming out of your head and your mm. head don't know how to cope. No, no. Because it's never experienced And do you think that was... Because do you think psychosis is brought on by sort of drinking and, and it's, addiction? It's withdrawing. Yeah, withdrawing. Right. It's, okay. it's your brain. It's it's your brain, knowingly, being drunk, for X amount of years. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, psychosis is the beginning of normality. Mm. If if I can say it like that, mm. because you know when the psychosis is gone, the chances are you're going to be feeling a whole lot better. Yes. A whole lot better. Because mm. it's the last little thing, it's the last it's the drawing last out, you know. Big hurdle yeah, and sweating. awful hurdle yeah, to get through. Hey, I, I, towards the end, I was I was literally living on drinking Frosty Jack cider because it was the cheapest thing that I could get my hands mm. on. It was potent to get me where I wanted to go. Yeah. But when I was withdrawing from it, I smelled like diesel fuel. Really? The Frosty Jack's cider is sold um, because of its chemical value basically okay it's like an ethanol based alcohol but it shares this is only what i've been told mm. uh, but it shares the derivative chemicals or whatever of, of alcohol that's Gosh. why they can sell it right. so when i was withdrawing because my body was full of this frosty jacks horrible it was cider, releasing that it was releasing it and yeah. i smelled like diesel constantly wow. for days mm. and days and days mm. and, and you could smell it on yourself yeah yeah, yeah. Const constantly that was just literally the drink coming out of my skin, mm, from mm. my bones, from the, you know wherever it was yeah. deposited. The, the start of the detox. Yeah. So you escaped, but you went back. I escaped. I escaped because the voices were telling me that were all against me. Yeah. I, I turned the house upside down. I got out of there and said, "You're all flaming nuts. You lot have got the problem. I'm perfectly okay. Yeah. I'm gone. Yeah. And I legged it, and I was in Watford, mm. but my mind told me that I was in Bromsgrove. Right. So I'm thinking I'm nine miles away from home, but really I'm like 80 miles away yeah. from home. And yeah. I'm trying to make my way home now from And you thinking, really believed yeah, that? Yeah, I believed yeah. I was in You thought Bromsgrove. it was everyone else. 100% I was in Bromsgrove. Mm. And Adam had contacted me and said, Steve, what are you doing? You, you, you vanished. And I explained to him, Adam, they're all nuts. I can't be there, you know, this, yeah. And he, so he said to me, he said, do you not think it's you? Well, no, it's not me because it's never been me. It's always been everybody else, yeah. hasn't it? So yeah. that ain't going to change. And then he said, right, I want you to do something. I said, well, what I will do then, I will look at a number plate, I will tell it to you, I will turn back around, and it will still be the same number plate. I looked back around, and it weren't the same number plate. 
and then I panicked. Yeah. I panicked a lot. So that's when you start to think, okay, what's yeah. going on? What is going on here? It now? must be is, because this, then you think it's everyone else. else. It can't yeah. be anyone else because, it, because there's no one around me. Yeah. So now it's me. The realization of and the realization and 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 everything just kind of opened up, and I went right. I have got a problem, haven't I? Yeah. Was and it and the, was it that sudden realization in that moment it, it that made was, you it start was thinking? Like someone had picked up this chair and whacked it off the back of my head. Yeah. I've got to do something about it. Now. Yeah. And there's me still believing I was in Bromsgrove, mm. despite Adam telling me that I wasn't. Adam had phoned the police because he was concerned now yep. that I was wandering the streets of Watford. Of course. Not knowing where I was, suffering with psychosis, didn't have a clue what was going on. And uh, the police were called and I, and I saw the police driving around the area that I was. And mm. I'd hide, hide from them mm. straight away because I thought they were going to arrest me. But all they were trying to do was pick was me up. Take make sure I was okay take you back and give you. me the option to phone the rehab, right, do you want to go back there? Mm. And they said to me, where are you? Where do you think you are? And I said, oh, well, you know, I'm at Sanders Park. Mm. In Bromsgrove. Mm. And I was actually in Castleberry Park in Watford. Mm. And the police looked at me as if to say, well, I think you could really do with going back there because there's something not quite wrong with yeah, you. Yeah, you moment. don't even know where and you they are. And they literally, they, they just dropped me straight back at the house and that was it. You stayed. And that was it then, three years. So... Because obviously, you know, it's all quite heart-wrenching <laughs> to hear. So what was the good points of rehab? What was the point where you thought, I'm starting to feel like Steve again after such a long time? The good thing about rehab <coughs> is the rehab that I went into, it wasn't a paid rehab. It was a free-to-enter, free-to-leave type oh, of rehab. Oh, right, okay. Like I say, it is a Christian uh, establishment. They are based up and down the country. It isn't for everybody, I ain't going to say. And when I first went there, I was like, I don't want none of this God stuff. You know no. what I, mean? I, I just want to get better. And the thing that made me think to myself, I, I want Steve back now, is I was seeing people because the rehabs were run by addicts. Oh, right, okay. The, the charity itself started in Spain many, many, many years ago mm. with one guy. Uh, trying to go over there to, to preach to the, uh, the, the the children of the schools over there to try and get them to come to God and all this stuff. Didn't work long and, still, uh, long and, and a short, short bit. Uh, but what he did do is he took an addict in who was on heroin in Spain and he nursed him back to help. Wow. And that is how the charity this started. And it's now in 81, 92 countries. What's the charity called? Uh, it's Betel, Betel of Britain. Uh, Betel in general, basically. They're, they're world. Betel. Betel, yeah. They're literally based, the, the house in Birmingham is, is Alf Church, so it's not far. Oh, right, okay. So, this where is we are. why I'm glad that I'm doing this now because, because I can, you can tell people. I can, I can plug the place and there is, there is somewhere. Yeah, because I mean, when you hear of rehab, you think money. No, yeah. I mean, I know people that spend eight grand a month on rehabs. So, with it being a Christian, are you really religious now? I'm not religious. No. I have an understanding and I have. My thoughts, my yes. philosophies, my everything. I don't palm anything off on anyone else. Mm. I just know how I want to live now. Yeah. And I take some of the principles that I learn through being in the Christian establishment, mm. them are the principles that I live by now. Yeah. Uh, what are they, if you don't mind me asking? Because <laughs> me, personally, like, I'm not a religious person, no. but obviously I've prayed when yeah. times have been... You know, I felt like there's uh, nothing else yeah. I can do. And I think being a good person yeah. and just 
always helping people. That's, that's, that's I'm how I want to live. That, that that's me. why I'm doing this podcast, because if there's somebody listening today, like you've come on here, which I'm so grateful for, um, you know, that might be in your the situation that you were. Yeah. Now they know of this establishment, yeah. it, it can help somebody. Of course it can. Yeah. And it gives people <coughs> a, a sense to know that, well, I'm, I'm poorly, but it's going to cost me £8,000 a month yeah. to get better. Yeah. Why? People people don't why? have that kind of money. Why, why would you want to make that much money out of somebody's very bad misfortune? Yeah. And that's all people are doing. Mm. You know, rehab's a rehab. I went into a rehab, and, and when I went into my rehab, I wasn't connected to computers and flipping drips and stuff like that. Yeah. I was pushed through a front door and said, cold turkey. Mm. Mm. I'm so glad that that happened. Yeah. Because now I know that I never want to be in that place again where I'm sat going through cold turkey in a rehab. Mm. Never again. Don't. Never. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. No. So how long have you been sober now? Ten years. Well done. Ten years August this year. August this year. Yeah. Well, that must feel amazing. And it's something to be proud of. It's good because I'm now at a decade. Yes. When you're at a year or two years or three Mm. years, it's great. Mm. When you get to five years, it's a milestone. Then you call it, it's not birthdays, you've kind of got the next big yes. birth, and this year is 10 years yeah. for me. So Are you going to do anything to celebrate? What do you do to celebrate things now? Because I imagine <laughs> it must be difficult because, you know, we live in such a society when, you know, there's a birthday party, yeah. there's always alcohol involved, yeah. and I don't, you know, I drink. Yeah. I'm not a big drinker, right. but, um, you know, you can have fun yeah. and a good time without it. You, and you, you and can, a lot of celebrities don't drink yeah, as well. The problem is society tells you that it's, it helps you have a good time. It, it, alcohol to me is the worst drug on the planet. Yes. Alcohol or cigarettes. Okay? I, so I don't addictive. care what anyone says about them. Heroin, potentially one of the most addictive things on the planet. Yes. But it's also a lot harder to get hold of than alcohol. Yeah. Alcohol so readily yeah. available. You it's can, everywhere you, you, you go. go into, I mean, I noticed out here there's four shops directly out the front of where we're sat now that yes, sell alcohol. Yes, they do. There ain't no heroin dealers still on the corner, which is what makes me say, because I know how hard it was for me to come off drink, and how hard it was for guys to come off heroin. Yeah. And I've heard the contrasting stories and stuff like that. Mm. And... I would put them on a part easily. Yeah. And not many people would because they just automatically think heroin is But you've is lived and breathed it and you've seen it, haven't yeah, you? So. But, yeah, but this is people's expectations of a, a junkie or a drunk or an addict is directly to heroin. It's always got to be the worst one. Mm. But it isn't it, no. drinks the worst Oh, one. gosh, yeah. It's, it's just yeah. too easy. It's, it's, it's very it's easy, in your face. Yeah. You, you're standing at a bus stop, there's an advert for beer. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You don't it's get everywhere that in your face. So it is the hardest mm. drug, I believe. If you could gosh. change anything about it, would you? About what? About alcohol being so readily available. <clears throat> what could you do? Mm. You, you can't. It's, it's down to the individual. It is. But with it being so, you know, and it's so easy, isn't it, when you're, you're mm. young, you're a teenager, especially if you haven't had the best of upbringings mm. and you've got an addictive personality, mm. it's so easy to, to go down that path, yeah. um, you know, and it being so available. But, yeah. you know, I suppose it is down to the individual, but... Yeah. I mean, if, if you could change it, this is, the reason, this is the reason why I like doing things like this, and mm. because potentially I'm going to help another person by yeah. saying what I'm saying there. Yeah. And if they That's could just be here and just say, oh, he's just said there's four shops out there, you know, it, it, yeah, maybe alcohol is a real bad drug. 
some, but I don't think people understand that it is a bad drug. Mm. And to be mm. fair, I don't think because people can pick up a drink, drink it, and then put it down and never have one for the next five or six hours. I couldn't. Mm. If I picked up a drink, I'd put it down. I'd be open the next one. Yeah. You know that's my personality. Mm. There's a phrase that goes around the alcoholic world, uh, mm. or, the, or the drug world, if you like. First you like me, then you love me, then you need me, and then you die. And that is the four steps. Yeah. I've experienced up to three and a half. Yes. <laughs> I didn't want to do the extra half. No, I'm no. so glad you didn't. <laughs> so with rehab, obviously the, the the place that you were in, it wasn't just alcohol. It was it no, was. No. So was there somebody that you had a bond with that you yeah. helped because obviously you said earlier that um obviously former addicts now run that's, those that's places the, so the, three years of your life yeah, in there the, the, the actual pastors pastors for the churches are ex-addicts yes they're the people that have come in and you know they've found favor with the mm -hmm. way that they're living wow. there, you know yeah that, that's great you know there's, there's people in Betel. One of my pals has just come out of Batel and he was in there seven years. Wow. Because you can go in there and don't have to do anything else ever again in your life mm. if you don't want to. Mm. For some people that works. I go in there, I'm wrapped in cotton wool, I do this and I go to sleep and I get three meals a day. Mm. Effectively, it's a little bit almost like prison. Yeah. But people like it because they know that when they're in there, they can't touch drink. Yeah. You know what I mean? So, so you stay in there. I suppose leaving is quite hard. Leaving is one of the hardest things I've had to do. Yeah. Even down to the point of saying to the, the, the house leaders, I'm leaving. You know what I mean? It's, 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 it's hard because you know how you was before you went in there. And when you, and you leave. Know, when you're in there, yeah. you're all right. So when you leave, you're going to be open to all this And how stuff is? Again. So is there like... Um, you know, like when people are being weaned off medication and stuff, you know, you sometimes you don't just come off it. Yeah. So was it that you left for a week and then went back? Or was it just like when you went in, you went cold turkey? Yeah, I, I just You left. just left? You just left. And was, then, did you find it hard? Yeah. Yeah. I found it... Um, I found I was very anxious all the time. Mm. Um, because of where I was living, for those three years, mm. I was set parameters, I would set limits, I would set everything, do you know what I mean? You, you effectively um, change your whole life around, yeah. change your whole mindset. Yeah. You just have to switch everything off. Mm. But when before you went into rehab, you had this mindset of how to live in this outside yes. world. And you go into somewhere where all that mindset is taken away from you mm. and, and, and started again with basically, born again, as they say. Yeah. And then you come back out, and now you've got to fend for yourself again. Well, and you're back mind. into what people call as normal society. <laughs> yeah, normal society. And you've got to then, you know. So the last time I was in normal society, I was in a very bad way. Do you mm. know what I mean? And of that's course. So that's quite years. frightening. So mm. When I came out, because of all these boundaries and stuff that I were given, I didn't know if I could just walk out of my mum's house and go to the shop. Mm. Because when I was in rehab, I had to ask you if I could go to the shop. You know what I mean? Of course. So, so it's very, yeah. very different. Oh, yeah. It's very different, but it's very very worth it so was there anybody in rehab that stood out that you helped towards yeah. the end loads, was that was that were those the positive things yeah. that happened to I you have, i have now i can honestly say i'm 43 years old and friends that i've grown up with i don't have mm. apart from people like yourself that yeah. enter my life you know like your friends and how we've got to this point where we're sat in front of each other yeah that, that mutual friend yeah i've met Two guys in rehab 
which I would easily class as my best friends yeah. ever. Mm. And I only met them for three years. Mm. And the friends that I had grew up with for 25 years, I, I don't even think I've heard of one of them mm. in 10 years. Other than Adam. Other than, other than Adam. Yeah. Mm. Other than Adam. But yeah. my pals that called me their best pal oh, when I was now. in my early 20s, yeah. when I was going through this mess, when I was making everyone laugh, mm. when I was mm. creating all this chaos, when I was life at the soul of the party. Mm. I'm not that person anymore. No. You know. You have to change, I suppose, don't you? You've you? got to. You've got yeah. to grow up. It's mm. growing up, effectively. Yeah. That's what I need to do. I grow up. I need to so grow you up. helped other people mm. in, in rehab? It's amazing. Amazing friends. Mm. But like I say, I've heard stories that were far worse than my story. Yeah. Well, and there's a saying, <laughs> isn't there? Like, my mum always says this to me. There's always somebody better off but there's always somebody worse off there is. and you have to remember that yeah. it's so yeah. true isn't it, yeah. um, it is. but sometimes it doesn't always help because when you're in that dark place you know and sometimes in, in things that have happened to me in my life I call it the dark cloud yeah. I'm like oh no the dark clouds coming over you know um, and, and you know you, you do think you know but I'm lucky yeah. you know I'm grateful to be this and I've got yeah. this but sometimes that doesn't always help you just have to try and find other ways to, to, yeah. to get yourself out of That's it right, yeah. and sometimes give yourself a bit of a break as well yeah. you know because I for one I'm such an overthinker um, and I can't seem to stop. I'm always, you know, if I'm at home, you know, I'm like, oh, that washing up needs doing. Yeah. I've got to do this. And I'm always thinking about the next thing. And sometimes it's just nice to just think, it doesn't matter if the dishes are left in the sink, that, you know, what's going to change? We, we complicate lives. Don't we? Far too much. Yeah. We make it, we live by society. We live how we are told we are mm. meant to live. And that's mm. the power of media. Of course it is. That's why addicts are addicts. And, you know what I mean? Yeah. It's because they've seen people. Society. Yeah. Of course it is. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and that's that's actually quite heartbreaking. Do you know what I mean? It, it's, it it's, is. It's bad that you think that you've got to be like Mr. Jones next door or you've got to be like this and that. Well, it's or, like growing or, up in school, isn't yeah. it? It's like, what are you going to do when you leave school? Mm. You know, you're either going to be a teacher, you're going to be a nurse, you're going to be this. And I really have got this thing yeah. with my daughter where I'm like, think outside the box. It doesn't, as long as she's happy mm. and there's not, because there's so much pressure put on oh, kids. Yeah. Massive, yeah. And I think this is, this is a lot of where, you know, mental health in young people stem from. Oh, yeah. It's the pressures of, you know, you've got to do this, you've got to be reading this by this age, you've got to be doing this by this age. And I'm like, as long as she's happy. Mm. And for me, at the moment, it was a choice of, I'm going to enrol my daughter, I'm going to either have a home tutor, yeah. or I'm going to enrol her in stagecoach. Right. And I really thought about it, and I thought, stagecoach. Yeah. Because... I think it's you know being a kid you've got to have fun yeah and be carefree and daydream you know we were lucky that we didn't have mobile phones no, when, when right. we were younger whereas now they do and, and and I think social media is a good thing but I also think it's a bad thing yeah, because very, I think it is you know the, the 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 art of communication and kids are all on it and then you've mm. got the whole of cyber bullying and yeah. you know there's so much expectation That's right, yeah. and there's a lot of celebrities out there now that um, are actually being themselves. They're not putting the filters on. Mm, and I think that's brilliant. Mm. 
I follow a lot of people like that. So I'm like, I've enrolled my daughter in Stagecoach because yeah. I wanted to have fun <laughs> and think outside the box and That's not do it. what society tells you to let do. fall out of trees and stuff like that. Yeah. yeah. Let, let, let them get dirty knees and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. We just conform nowadays, I think. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. We, just, we just do what we can to get through and just try and keep everyone happy, I suppose. Yeah. Yeah. But unless you're happy yourself, it, it don't work. And happiness mm. is an inside job. It is. You have got to look at yourself in the mirror and like it. This is why I have life, not a destination. It you so is. You don't get to being happy. Mm. You live happy. Well, you try to. And it's like, you think to yourself, what can I do to make me happy? Mm. And it's not always about that. It's about just being at peace with yeah. yourself. That's do it. you think now you've been on this extraordinary journey, mm. you've found who you are again, do you feel... You've got some inner peace now, Steve. I've got some. I still ain't where I want to be. No. Uh, I know where I want to be, and I know how I want to feel, and I know how I want to, you know, all that stuff. Yeah. Coming from where I come from, <laughs> I'm just grateful to, to breathe every day, if you yeah. know what I mean. No, I do. Yeah, so. That's your second I, thing that yeah. you're grateful for, then. I don't, I, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> Breath. Fresh air. People take it for granted, don't they? So many things. <laughs> and I really think it's the simple things in life. Of course it is. Because we, we, we overcomplicate. weird way of throwing horrible hard balls at you, you know what I mean, curveballs and everything. Yeah. You miss them, you know mm. what I mean, but mm. it's continuing to move forward. Mm. Uh, and keep moving forward, obviously don't go backwards. Mm. What makes Steve happy now? What things... Waking up every day, knowing that I don't have to conform to living as an addict anymore. Yeah. It, it's as simple as that. It's, it's such a nice thing to be able to be grateful for. Below, mm. you've won, you know, and stuff like that. Find a way out, no, whereas now no. you feel in control of who you are. Yeah. And yeah, how, there's, and there's, there's always moulding that you can do to your own of course personality, is. character and you stuff like that. You can always improve on yourself, of can't you? Can, yeah. You know, that, that's, a, that's a, 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 an everlasting thing, yeah, I think, even when you're in your... You can always improve. We answered the question. We go to a pub. Yeah, we did.
master, mm. that makes you an in people's lives because mm. <laughs> that's all I could do. But you've rebuilt the relationship with your children. Oh, massively, yeah. You've massively. got obviously a good relationship and you know